0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our gospel today talks about difficult homecomings. Something that perhaps each of us can uh, relate to in some form or another. Going, going home isn't always uh, what it's cracked up to be. Going home isn't always what we expect. And going home can actually elicit uh, quite a many bit of fears with, within us. When we think about a day like today, and many who have sacrificed many things, uh, uh, limbs or life, or even their own uh, sense of, um, of a stable mind, we think and pray for our, our veterans and uh, consider them in this text as well, those whose homecomings can be quite difficult, filled with many and great challenges where we might call uh, them normal, they have to readjust to those normalities. Or maybe we think about a place like here in the ministry that we have here at University Lutheran. For our college students, going home can also uh, uh, have its own set of challenges. Maybe it could mean uh, like uh, going, going home on break or during the summer months, facing parental rules that uh, they were free from for a while. Or it could also be something of the sort where they uh, go home to see their friends who they haven't seen in a while, and maybe they've grown quite distant to. Whatever it may be, homecomings can be difficult things. And I'm sure maybe just bringing up these, just a couple illustrations uh, elicit in your own mind or you can kind of think in your own mind uh, your own homecomings either from from your youth or or presently. Not long ago um, I went uh, home right after my dad uh, broke, broke his ankle and had the opportunity to uh, go to my nephew's little league game and I ran into some people that I went to uh, school with and uh, I, they were in my brother's class but I knew them. Uh, they were a part of a, a different farming family. Um, they grew potatoes, and we grew corn and soybeans. And um, I got to, to, to talking with, with them, and uh, I, I know that they meant nothing, nothing by it, but it was what they said that kind of s- stuck with me. They they had asked because I hadn't seen them in, you know, decades or So uh, they asked, "Are you still a pastor?" Now, I don't think they meant anything by that, but the word still uh, uh, mold over in my mind many times over. In fact, I remember driving home asking Morgan, uh, I wonder what they meant by still. (laughs) Um, Again, I'm almost certain, if not 100% certain, that they meant absolutely nothing by it. But it does speak to what I think they might be uh, what they might know, which is the turnover rate for pastors can be quite high. Many just don't last. And so, uh, you know, those sort of homecomings bring out certain things, certain fears or s- certain situations that we may find uncomfortable or, or unsettling or they might stick with us in the in the most paranoid sort sort of ways. The Gospel today speaks about Jesus' own humble homecoming. It speaks about, uh, not his fears, of course Jesus isn't fearing his homecoming, but it it details how, how Jesus handled his own homecoming to the people in Nazareth. It wasn't, again, that he feared his homecoming, but he was certainly astonished by the way that they received him. These are people who knew him before he began his, his public ministry. And what's, what's interesting, uh, at least to me, maybe not so much to you, I, maybe we can share in the, in the surprise or interest here, but we know a lot about, through the scriptures, about Jesus' birth, we know about Jesus and going to the temple as a boy, but then it kind of goes dry, right? The timeline kind of goes dry. We don't know much more about Jesus throughout his, his childhood until he begins that very public ministry and uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God drawing near in himself. But what is what I think is interesting, at least, is that we get a little snapshot, at least of, at how maybe his childhood was actually quite unremarkable. The people who received him back in Nazareth don't seem to think any more highly of him than those crowds who certainly are following after and seeking after Jesus. And so perhaps we're not missing out on anything at all, but uh, what we perhaps are missing out is what they missed out on, which is an understanding of, of who it was that was among them this whole entire time. This, I think, does give us a little bit of a context by which we then understand the gospel. Jesus is uh, coming back to uh, the Nazarene people and he begins to preach in the synagogue, and this is what really uh, brings to light how different he is from how they remember Jesus as a boy in his childhood. He leaves the people scratching their heads where did this man get these things they say what is the wisdom given to him how are such mighty works done by his hands now these are not words that should be read in in their kind of uh, to their joy these are words that are, should be heard to their offense In fact, the scripture tells us this much, that they were offended by Jesus, that he would speak and come to them in this way. They they ask Jesus in a way that undermines his legitimacy, uh, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know his brothers and sisters, they're not all that special. Who does he think he is? So Jesus doesn't uh, uh, come back to any sort of parade. He's no hometown hero to to his uh, fe- fe- fellow Nazarenes. Jesus spoke, in fact, to them in a way that left them feeling quite raw. They reacted to him not to the truth of his words, but in fact, they reacted emotionally uh, to to him. They didn't like the way he spoke authoritatively to them. I remind. I was reminded of a bunch of things when I was looking at this text, and it reminded me of my, my vicarage supervisor. That's your pastoral internship year. Uh, he one time uh, uh, spoke to me privately after someone suggested that maybe one day. Um, uh, it was a, I had a love. I had a great vicarage, a great pastoral intern, internship, awesome supervisor. Uh, it's the longest-running vicarage in the Synod. I was vicar number 43. I, I love the people, and the people uh, loved me. And I don't su- say that boastfully. I just say it, it, uh, that that's what it was. And uh, they s- suggested that maybe one day I would return to be a pastor in the area because I had kind of grown up, actually, in that uh, same area. Or that maybe one day after uh, their pastor retired, that I would be, maybe they would think about, calling me as their pastor. And I'll never forget what my uh, supervising pastor told me. He simply said, and I knew what he meant, you can't go home. You can't go home. And what he was referring to is exactly our gospel text here. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. It is a very difficult thing to be known as a person's vicar in a congregation and at the end of this little service called ordination and installation you are all—you all, are now their pastor. And you not only have the authority uh, uh, to, as pastor uh, and uh, given to, to love your people, but that also then calls for times of uh, discernment both in law and gospel. And that is a thing that is difficult to see the difference between when you know someone so well. It makes you think about what this text is speaking about. To you, I'm pastor. But to my relatives, like my father, I'm just a son. To my brothers and sisters, to my brother and sisters, I'm just their brother. And they don't treat me any differently. And in my own household, my name is Jared, or Dad, not Pastor. It <laughs> would be very odd to hear that. And to be clear, I'm not complaining, of course, but simply making the point that the scriptures are doing and the point that Jesus is actually trying to make with his own disciples of what they should recognize as they come to the, maybe their own hometowns, as they go among the people, and what, in fact, they are charged with as pastors. It's not always the ones closest to you. Uh, it's, well. In fact, uh, what I meant to say is, it, the ones closest to you are usually the ones least, the least impressed by you. Jesus is no different to the human eyes of his fellow people. But there is a greater point to be made here. A much more important point. It's this, Jesus marvels where we cannot. After all, our hometowns and relatives and households know less about our accomplishments, and they know far more than what we would like to share about our own failures. They remember our quirks, they remember our hang-ups, our sins. They know how we once ran our mouths, or struggled in math, or let down a family member or friend. And so, we have a perception problem, but the contrast that exists in the gospel today is that Jesus doesn't share the stigmas that we've done or do, the things that we've done and the things that we've left undone. His is a little bit different, isn't it? His record is perfect, but his associations are not. It is simple matter of fact to say that Jesus' mother was a sinner, and so were his brothers and sisters. And the townspeople of Nazareth were sinners. And this is the point. Because they are sinners, the way in which they view Jesus is through that exact same lens. They view Jesus not for who he was, but they viewed him through the lens of how they viewed themselves. And so Jesus marvels at their unbelief. He finds their unbelief unbelievable. They just see each other differently. And that's the thing that Jesus has come to reconcile. The way in which we view ourselves through the lens of sin. Jesus comes that we would see ourselves in him as redeemed and forgiven children of God. Ones who are called to repentance and faith in Christ. To marvel at something more extraordinary than our sins and our fallen nature, but marvel at the one who has conquered sin, death, and the devil, and made us his own children. And so that's what's amazing about this gospel, that the one rejected is the one who accepts you. The gospel is making an amazing point here, a point to marvel at. And it comes with how Jesus would have you understand his rejection in Nazareth, or more accurately, how you would understand the rejection of Jesus in light of his acceptance of you. And that is the Christ contrast. The importance of his acceptance cannot be overstated. Jesus could do no mighty work among those who knew him or those who thought that they knew him, except among some of the surrounding villages, he was able to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. To put it another way, John's Gospel puts it this way, about all all these things that are going on. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I particularly love this verse because of how it concludes. These children of God were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It means that the way in which Jesus accepts us is different than how we accept ourselves in a worldly sense, or how the world accepts us in their worldly sense. God accepts sinners because he brings us into the repentance of our sins. God accepts sinners because he has died for sinners. He comes to save sinners such as us. Christ makes his home with and among sinners. He dwells among us to save us, to set us free, to give us a new birth, something far greater than what the sinful world could ever give us, a new birth into his kingdom, into his home, into his eternity. Which begs the question, where is God's home really? Jesus' hometown on earth might be Nazareth, but the greater implication transcends beyond Nazareth and reverberates throughout the cosmos. For in Isaiah, the Lord said, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my throne is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Or what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. So all these things come to be. The Lord speaks of what he has created. What is it that you could give him? What house could you build for him? And yet, that is what Jesus does. He goes where God shouldn't go. He dwells among sinners. He makes a home among the sinners he loves. The Creator sees earth as his footstool and its houses as unremarkable places for him to dwell, yet that's what he does. Jesus humbles himself to dwell where once his proverbial feet rested and he lives where God isn't supposed to. He does this so that we would see him differently than how we view ourselves or how the world would view us. He does this, that we may see in him an image reborn. We were created in the likeness of our God. And in his image, we were created and yet fell from. God in Christ is calling us to see him once again. And to see in Jesus ourselves. The view of the world... We view the world through how we see ourselves. Jesus views us in how he sees himself in us. And he sees in you how he has redeemed you. And he sees in you how he has set you free from shame and every sin by becoming the shameful in your place, becoming sin for you in your place and dying on the cross for you. He wants you to see yourself in him. The creator wants you to see yourself In his image. So Jesus comes that you would see him as a man, but also God. God and man. Jesus is the God-man. God in the flesh. He wants you to see him as the crucified and risen one. And as you see yourself in Jesus, you see yourself as you ought to. As a child of God. Sins crucified. And already risen in Christ. Jesus comes as an insider with the outsider's message. And the insider's message among his fellow Nazarene is to be rooted and grounded in the Lord. Undoubtedly, the repentance Jesus taught in the synagogue was seen as if Jesus had lost touch with his roots, that he came from among them, and now he speaks like an outsider. If only they knew how true they were, but for all the good reasons. Jesus has roots eternal. And his preaching is from the outside, but it is a proclamation from above. And so Jesus comes with this good news, with this good proclamation from above, and dwells among us below. And that's the final point that I want to uh, preach on this, this day. True repentance is from above. It comes from the throne of God and outside of our merits. The ministry of repentance isn't rooted in man's ability to say sorry, to forgive, and mend fences in the worldly sense of those things. That kind of repentance is crossless. It's without the cross and holds no promise in the resurrection at the end of time on the last day. No, the real freedom that we have in Christ is forgiveness of our sins a real forgiveness from on high from God himself through the ministry of repentance which is to repent and to believe in Jesus that Jesus preaches this and he preaches it from above not from within ourselves but from above it holds the power to forgive because it holds the power that Christ has sacrificed himself for for the sinner's sake And it follows through with that promise that just as Jesus is raised from the dead, you too will be raised in glory. On account of God's grace in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven and you are set free to a freedom beyond human reason. And so Jesus gives to us in this gospel today not any apprehension of a homecoming, no fear of our homecomings, but he actually establishes a new, a new and happy homecoming. Jesus gives the good news to those who can't go home, who can't go back to who they once were, or who want to live a different life than how everyone else thinks that they should live, or who want to live differently than how everyone else views them. Jesus offers us this new home, his church. The Christian church is a home without offense. We come here and are transformed into how Jesus views us, as repentant sinners, as saints. In the church, each of you are like prodigal sons returned to their father, as lost sheep who are found by the Good Shepherd, as those who have a home in heaven and on earth. You have in this place a home where you belong, and can be planted here, and rooted here, and nourished here, until God calls you to his heavenly home, and a heavenly homecoming. I want to end with these words, these words of St. Paul, that he wrote to the Ephesians. And I give them to you for your own consideration, so I want you to please listen carefully to these words that Paul instructs his Christian church to hear. And to hear in them how God sees you. How God sees you and how uh, God wants uh, every good for you. And how the work of Christ and his love for you continues to this day. And how it continues to dwell among you. And how God continues to make his home with you. This is what Paul writes in the third chapter of Ephesians. I bow my knees before the Father The power at work within us is faith that marvels at Christ and his love without offense. This power brings us to repentance and it brings us to be at home with God and at peace today through the forgiveness of sins that is forever and ever. Amen.